Section 18 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell, Section 18. On the 30th of August, I informed him that my honoured father had died that morning. A complaint under which he had long laboured, having suddenly come to a crisis, while I was upon a visit at the seat of Sir Charles Preston, from whence I had hastened the day before upon receiving a letter by express. To James Boswell, Esquire, dear sir, I have struggled through this year with so much infirmity of body and such strong impressions of the fragility of life that death whenever it appears fills me with melancholy and i cannot hear without emotion of the removal of any one whom i have known into another state your father's death had every circumstance that could enable you to bear it it was at a mature age and it was expected and as his general life had been pious, his thoughts had doubtless for many years past been turned upon eternity. That you did not find him sensible must doubtless grieve you. His disposition towards you was undoubtedly that of a kind, though not a fond father. Kindness, at least actual, is in our power, but fondness is not and if by negligence or imprudence you had extinguished his fondness he could not at will rekindle it nothing then remained between you but mutual forgiveness of each other's faults and a mutual desire of each other's happiness i shall long to know his final disposition of his fortune Footnote. He had settled on his eldest son, says Dr. Rogers, the ancestral estate, with an unencumbered rental of £1,600 a year. That the rental, whatever it was, was not unencumbered, is shown by the passage from Johnson's letter. Boswell wrote to Malone in 1791, The clear money on which I can reckon out of my estate, is scarcely nine hundred pounds a year. End of footnote. You, dear sir, have now a new station, and have therefore new cares and new employments. Life, as Cowley seems to say, ought to resemble a well-ordered poem, of which one rule, generally received, is that the exordium should be simple and should promise little. Begin your new course of life with the least show and the least expense possible. You may at pleasure increase both, but you cannot easily diminish them. Do not think your estate your own while any man can call upon you for money which you cannot pay. Therefore begin with timorous parsimony. Let it be your first care not to be in any man's debt. When the thoughts are extended to a future state, the present life seems hardly worthy of 
all those principles of conduct and maxims of prudence which one generation of men has transmitted to another but upon a closer view when it is perceived how much evil is produced and how much good is impeded by embarrassment and distress and how little room the expedients of poverty leave for the exercise of virtue it grows manifest that the boundless importance of the next life enforces some attention to the interests of this be kind to the old servants and secure the kindness of the agents and factors do not disgust them by asperity or unwelcome gaiety or apparent suspicion from them you must learn the real state of your affairs the characters of your tenants and the value of your lands footnote i do besiege all the succeeding heirs of entail wrote boswell in his will to be kind to the tenants and not to turn out old possessors to get a little more rent End of footnote. make my compliments to mrs boswell i think her expectations from air and exercise are the best that she can form i hope she will live long and happily i forget whether i told you that Rasset, footnote macleod the laird of Rasset, end of footnote has been here we dined cheerfully together i entertained lately a young gentleman from Corrichatakin, footnote a farm in the isle of skye where johnson wrote his latin ode to mrs thrale end of footnote i received your letters only this morning i am dear sir yours etc samuel johnson london september the seventh seventeen eighty two in answer to my next letter i received one from him dissuading me from hastening to him as i had proposed what is proper for publication is the following paragraph equally just and tender footnote johnson wrote to dr taylor on october the fourth boswell's sick father is dead and boswell wrote me word that he would come to london for my advice in square brackets sir advice which i sent him is to stay at home and in square brackets busy himself with his own affairs he has a good s in square brackets state considerably burthened by settlements and he is himself in debt but if his wife lives i think he will be prudent End of footnote. one expense however i would not have you to spare let nothing be omitted that can preserve mrs boswell though it should be necessary to transplant her for a time into a softer climate she is the prop and stay of your life how much must your children suffer by losing her my wife was now so much convinced of his sincere friendship for me and regard for her that without any suggestion on my part she wrote him a very polite and grateful letter dr johnson to mrs boswell dear lady i have not often received so much pleasure as from your invitation to affleck the journey thither and back is indeed too great for the latter part of the year but if my health were fully recovered i would suffer no little heat and cold 
nor a wet or rough road to keep me from you i am indeed not without hope of seeing affleck again but to make it a pleasant place i must see its lady well and brisk and airy for my sake therefore among many greater reasons take care dear madam of your health spare no expense and want no attendance that can procure ease or preserve it be very careful to keep your mind quiet and do not think it too much to give an account of your recovery to madam yours etc samuel johnson london september the seventh seventeen eighty two to james boswell esq dear sir having passed almost this whole year in a succession of disorders i went in october to brighthelmstone whither i came in a state of so much weakness that i rested four times in walking between the inn and the lodging by physic and abstinence i grew better and am now reasonably easy though at a great distance from health Footnote. Miss Burney wrote in the first week in December, Dr. Johnson was in most excellent good humour and spirits. She describes later on a brilliant party which he attended at Miss Monckton's on the 8th, where the people were superbly dressed and where he was environed with listeners. End of footnote. I am afraid, however, that health begins after seventy and long before to have a meaning different from that which it had at thirty but it is culpable to murmur at the established order of the creation as it is vain to oppose it he that lives must grow old and he that would rather grow old than die has got to thank for the infirmities of old age at your long silence i am rather angry you do not, since now you were the head of your house, think it worth your while to try whether you or your friend can live longer without writing, nor suspect that after so many years of friendship that when I do not write to you I forget you? Put all such useless jealousies out of your head, and disdain to regulate your own practice by the practice of another or by any other principle than the desire of doing right your economy i suppose begins now to be settled your expenses are adjusted to your revenue and all your people in their proper places resolve not to be poor whatever you have spend less poverty is a great enemy to human happiness it certainly destroys liberty and it makes some virtues impracticable and others extremely difficult let me know the history of your life since your accession to your estate how many houses how many cows how much land in your own hand and what bargains you make with your tenants of my lives of the poets they have printed a new edition in october i hear of three thousand did i give a set to lord hales if i did not i will do it out of these what did you make of all your copy footnote the greatest part of the copy or manuscript of the lives of the poets had been given by johnson to boswell End of footnote. 
Mrs. Thrale and the three misses are now for the winter in Argyle Street. Footnote. Of her twelve children, but these three were living. She was forty-one years old. End of footnote. Sir Joshua Reynolds has been out of order, but is well again. And I am, dear sir, your affectionate humble servant, Samuel Johnson, London, December the 7th, 1782. To Dr. Samuel Johnson, Edinburgh, December the 20th, 1782. Dear sir, I was made happy by your kind letter, which gave us the agreeable hopes of seeing you in Scotland again. I am much flattered by the concern you are pleased to take in my recovery. I am better, and hope to have it in my power to convince you, by my attention, of how much consequence I esteem your health to the world and to myself. I remain, sir, with grateful respect, your obliged and obedient servant, Margaret Boswell. The death of Mr. Thrale had made a very material alteration with respect to Johnson's reception in that family. The manly authority of the husband no longer curbed the lively exuberance of the lady, and as her vanity had been fully gratified by having the colossus of literature attached to her for many years, she gradually became less assiduous to please him. Whether her attachment to him was already divided by another object, I am unable to ascertain. But it is plain that Johnson's penetration was alive to her neglect or forced attention, for on the 6th of October this year we find him making a parting use of the library at Streatham, and pronouncing a prayer which he composed on leaving Mr. Thrale's family. Footnote. The family, writes Dr. Burney, lived in the library, which used to be the parlour. There they breakfasted. Over the bookcases were hung Sir Joshua Reynolds' portraits of Mr. Thrale's friends. Baretti, Burke, Burney, Chambers, Garrick, Goldsmith, Johnson, Murphy, Reynolds, Lord Sands, Lord Westcote, and in the same picture, Mrs. Thrale and her eldest daughter. Mr. Thrale's portrait was also there. End of footnote. Almighty God, Father of all mercy, help me by thy grace that I may, with humble and sincere thankfulness, remember the comforts and conveniences which I have enjoyed at this place, and that I may resign them with holy submission equally trusting in thy protection when thou givest and when thou takest away have mercy upon me lord have mercy upon me to thy fatherly protection o lord i commend this family bless guide and defend them that they may so pass through this world as finally to enjoy in thy presence everlasting happiness for jesus christ's sake amen Footnote. Boswell omits a line that follows this prayer. O Lord, so far as, etc., Thrale. This means, I think, so far as it might be lawful, I prayed for Thrale. 
the following day johnson entered i was called early i packed up my bundles and used the foregoing prayer with my morning devotions somewhat i think enlarged being earlier than the family i read st paul's farewell in the acts and then read fortuitously in the gospels which was my parting use of the library End of footnote. one cannot read this prayer without some emotions not very favourable to the lady whose conduct occasioned it footnote. johnson no doubt was leaving streatham because mrs thrale was leaving it streatham wrote miss burney on august the twelfth of this year my other home and the place where i have long thought my residence dependent only on my own pleasure is already let for three years to lord shelburne johnson was not yet leaving the thrale family for he joined them at brighton and he was living with them the following spring in argyle street nevertheless if as all mrs thrale's friends strongly held her second marriage was blameworthy boswell's remark admits of defence miss burney in her diary and letters keeps the secret which mrs thrale had confided to her of her attachment to mr piozzi but in the memoirs of dr burney which as madame d'arblay she wrote long afterwards she leaves little doubt that streatham was given up as a step towards the second marriage in seventeen eighty two on a visit there she found that her father and all others dr johnson not excepted were cast into the same gulf of general neglect as mrs thrale became more and more dissatisfied with her own situation and impatient for its relief she slighted johnson's counsel and avoided his society madame d'arblay describes a striking scene in which her father utterly puzzled by sad and altered streatham left it one day with tears in his eyes another day johnson accompanied her to london his look was stern though dejected but when his eye which however short-sighted was quick to mental perception saw how ill at ease she appeared all sternness subsided into an undisguised expression of the strongest emotion while with a shaking hand and pointing finger he directed her looks to the mansion from which they were driving and when they faced it from the coach window as they turned into streatham common tremulously exclaimed that house is lost to me for ever johnson's letter to langton of march the twentieth seventeen eighty two in which he says that he was musing in his chamber at mrs thrale's shows that so early as that date he foresaw that a change was coming boswell's statement that mrs thrale became less assiduous to please johnson might have been far more strongly worded lord shelburne who as prime minister was negotiating peace with the united states france and spain hired mrs thrale's house 
in order to be constantly near London. End of footnote. In one of his memorandum books I find Sunday went to church at Streatham. Templo Valedixi cum Oscolo. Footnote. Mr. Croker quotes the following from the Rose manuscripts. October the 6th, Die Dominica, 1782. Pranzus sum Agninum crus coctum cum herbis, spinach, cominutis, facimen farinaceum cum uvis passis, lumbos bovelos, et polum gallene torchke, et poscanis missas, ficus uvas non admorum maturas, ita voluit ani intemperies, cum malis pesicis, iis tamen duis, non letus acubui. Cibum modice sum si, ne in temperantia ad extremum peccaretur. Si recte memini in mentem venerant epule in ex equis hadoni celebrate. Stretamiam quando revisam. End of footnote. He met Mr. Philip Metcalf. Footnote. Reader's note, Miss Burney. Mr. Metcalfe is much with Dr. Johnson, but seems to have taken an unaccountable dislike to Mrs. Thrale, to whom he never speaks. He is a shrewd, sensible, keen, and very clever man. He, Burke, and Malone were Sir Joshua's executors. End of footnote. Often at Sir Joshua Reynolds's and other places, and was a good deal with him at Brighthamston this autumn, being pleased at once with his excellent table and animated conversation. Footnote. Boswell should have shown, for he must have known it, that Johnson was Mrs. Thrale's guest at Brighton. Miss Burney was also of the party. Her account of him is a melancholy one. October 28th, Dr. Johnson accompanied us to a ball, to the universal amazement of all who saw him there. But he said he had found it so dull, being quite alone the preceding evening, that he determined upon going with us. For, said he, it cannot be worse than being alone. October the 29th. Mr. Pepys joined Dr. Johnson, with whom he entered into an argument, in which he was so roughly computed and so severely ridiculed that he was hurt and piqued beyond all power of disguise and in the midst of the discourse suddenly turned from him and wishing mrs thrale good-night very abruptly withdrew dr johnson was certainly right with respect to the argument and to reason but his opposition was so warm and his wit so satirical and exulting that I was really quite grieved to see how unamiable he appeared, and how greatly he made himself dreaded by all, and by many abhorred. October the 30th. In the evening we all went to Mrs. Hatzell's. Dr. Johnson was not invited. October the 31st. A note came to invite us all, except Dr. Johnson, to Lady Rosses. November the 2nd, 
we went to lady shelley's dr johnson again accepted in the invitation he is almost constantly omitted either from too much respect or too much fear i am sorry for it as he hates being alone november the seventh mr metcalfe called upon dr johnson and took him out for an airing mr hamilton is gone and mr metcalfe is now the only person out of this house that voluntarily communicates with the doctor he has been in a terrible severe humour of late and has really frightened all the people till they almost ran from him to me only i think he is now kind for mrs thrale fares worse than anybody End of footnote. mr metcalfe showed him great respect and sent him a note that he might have the use of his carriage whenever he pleased johnson third of october seventeen eighty two returned this polite answer mr johnson is very much obliged by the kind offer of the carriage but he has no desire of using mr metcalfe's carriage except when he can have the pleasure of mr metcalfe's company mr metcalfe could not but be highly pleased that his company was thus valued by johnson and he frequently attended him in airings they also went together to chichester and they visited petworth and cowdrey the venerable seat of the lords montacute footnote readers note miss burney dr johnson has asked me said mr metcalfe to go with him to chichester to see the cathedral and i told him i would certainly go if he pleased but why i cannot imagine for how shall a blind man see a cathedral i believe quoth i that is miss burney his blindness is as much the effect of absence as of infirmity for he sees wonderfully at times End of footnote. sir said johnson i should like to stay here four-and-twenty hours we see here how our ancestors lived that his curiosity was still unabated appears from two letters to mr john nichols of the tenth and twentieth of october this year footnote the second letter is dated the twenty eighth johnson says i have looked often etc but he does not say he has been much informed but only informed End of footnote. in one he says i have looked into your anecdotes and you will hardly thank a lover of literary history for telling you that he has been much informed and gratified i wish you would add your own discoveries and intelligence to those of dr rawlinson and undertake the supplement to wood think of it in the other i wish so you could obtain some fuller information of jorton markland and thirlby they were three contemporaries of great eminence footnote. jordan's sermons are described by johnson as very elegant ante in two four eight he and thirlby are mentioned by him in the life of pope markland was born sixteen ninety three died seventeen seventy six 
his notes on some of euripides plays were published at the expense of dr heberden markland had previously destroyed a great many other notes writing in seventeen sixty four he said probably it will be a long time if ever before this sort of learning will revive in england in which it is easy to foresee that there must be a disturbance in a few years and all public disorders are enemies to this sort of literature i remember writes mrs piozzi when lamentation was made of the neglect shown to jeremiah markland a great philologist as some one ventured to call him he is a scholar undoubtedly sir replied dr johnson but remember that he would run from the world and that it is not the world's business to run after him i hate a fellow whom pride or cowardice or laziness drives into a corner and in square brackets who does nothing when he is there but sit and growl let him come out as i do and bark nichols published in seventeen eighty four a brief account of thirlby nearly half of it being written by johnson thirlby was born in sixteen ninety two and died in seventeen fifty three his versatility led him to try the round of what are called the learned professions his life was marred by drink and insolence his mind seems to have been tumultuous and desultory and he was glad to catch any employment that might produce attention without anxiety such employment as dr batty has observed is necessary for madmen End of footnote. to sir joshua reynolds dear sir i heard yesterday of your late disorder and i should think ill of myself if i had heard of it without alarm footnote. he was attacked says northcote by a slight paralytic affection after an almost uninterrupted course of good health for many years miss burney wrote on december the twenty eighth to one of her sisters how can you wish any wishes in square brackets matrimonial wishes about sir joshua and me a man who has had two shakes of the palsy End of footnote i heard likewise of your recovery which i sincerely wish to be complete and permanent your country has been in danger of losing one of its brightest ornaments and i of losing one of my oldest and kindest friends but i hope you will still live long for the honour of the nation and that more enjoyment of your elegance your intelligence and your benevolence is still reserved for dear sir your most affectionate etc samuel johnson brightomston november the fourteenth seventeen eighty two end of section eighteen